This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Make it loud. We're giving everything. By the cross, we've overcome. Hello, and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. We are going to uh, study something today that uh, I found very interesting, uh, just in general studies, but also is a result of a conversation that I was having with a friend. And um, this particular account, I think, has probably been researched and taught by others. Uh, but I wanted to take a look at it so that I could get a better understanding of it myself. Because just, you know, on face value, it could be a little hard to uh, interpret. You know, it's, um, it's not uh, a very easy... Um, account to really approach and understand uh, in a cursory way. So I thought it deserved a little more uh, research um, so that I could have a better understanding myself and hopefully I can somehow, uh, through the grace of God, translate uh, that understanding um, to others. So the we're going to be looking at uh, a passage here in Genesis, particularly Genesis chapter 38. And a lot of people may be familiar with this account. It's an account that deals with Judah and an incident that occurred in his life. And it seems almost like it's shoehorned into the account of Joseph. Um, but I think that if we look at this from the proper perspective, and I'm hoping that this study is going to help us get that proper perspective. We'll see that it's really not shoehorned at all, that it actually fits very well in the um, in its placement and in the account of um, Joseph, his brothers, and really the beginnings of the nation of Israel. So um, without further ado, uh, let's get into this study. Um, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 38, and I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter first, and then we'll get into uh, the study together. Uh, starting from Genesis chapter 38, I'm using the King James Version. And it came to pass that at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her. And she conceived and bare a son. And he called his name Ur. Uh, and she conceived again and bare a son. And she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chelzib uh, when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, marry her, and raise up a seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his, and it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter, in the law, his, excuse me, then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shearers to Timnath. Uh, he and his friend Hira the Dulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off of her, from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. 
for she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Will thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? She said, Thy signet, thy bracelets, thy staff that's in thine hand. And he gave it her and came into her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away and laid her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend the Adulamite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot that we may, that was openly by the wayside? Um, and they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of that place said that there was no harlot in that place. And Judah said, Let her take it to her, lest we be ashamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, the daughter, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. Um, when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are am I with child. And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose, these, whose are these, the signet, the bracelet, and staff. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because I gave her not to Shelah, my son, and he knew her again no more. And it came to pass... Uh, in the time of her travail, that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying, this came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand and behold, his brother came out. And she said, how hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was Phares. And afterwards came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So that's a long uh, passage, I understand, but I think it's important for us to understand the complete story and get an idea of what happened so that we can understand what's going on here. Now, uh, just on the surface, it's pretty obvious what occurred, right? Um, it looks just on the surface, that Judah um, was deceived by his daughter-in-law. And if we just took that from it, we could probably conjure up a pretty salacious story about all that happened and what occurred. Uh, and we could probably equate that to uh, some type of Harlequin-type uh, romance novel. But that aside... Let's just look and see what's actually here that we can glean so that we can see, you know, what what God wants us to know from this account um, <clears throat> and what we can garner from the facts that have been presented. So it starts out um, that we have to also consider where it's placed, because this is right in the middle of the account of Joseph. Now, we know Joseph's story. A lot of people know about Joseph, how that he was sold into slavery. And that just occurred. You know, this is something that just happened. The, the brothers went back to their father and said, oh, well, Joseph's been slain. Of course, they deceived their father. They didn't want him to know that they sold Joseph into slavery. But it's also significant to know that they did want the brothers conspired to kill Joseph. But the one who saved Joseph from being killed and offered up this uh, alternative route was Judah. Judah was the one that said, hey, rather than kill him, let's sell him into slavery and make a profit. So we have to understand that, you know, part of that was Judah, uh, you know, placating his brothers. But the, 
there's also um, something there about Judah not wanting to kill Joseph. Not, no, not as much for Joseph's sake, but for his father's sake. And um, so in that sense, Judah, Judah was already kind of leaning into that role of being a savior to his people. Because we are, if, if you're familiar with Joseph's story, you understand that there's a great significance to Joseph's life that happened subsequent to being sold into slavery. So I think that's why the Lord has placed this account of Judah here so that we can get a better understanding of who Judah was and where he was in his life at the time that this occurred. I think that's definitely part of it. And it says, and it came to pass at that time. So this is this is at the time when uh, Joseph had been sold into slavery. Came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren. So he was separated from his brethren. That's very significant. And he turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her. So you're going to see this uh, theme throughout scripture, but really, really in Genesis where we see the beginnings of things. That's what Genesis means. It's the beginnings. And here we see the beginning of a lot of things that God has intended to be a part of his plan and purpose. And if you follow these people, you follow the prophecies that have been given about their lives, you can see a thread of truth, of revelation that leads all the way up to our present day and beyond. And that's very much for true for Judah. So here we see Judah takes a wife from the... Um, from this um, Canaanite family. Um, and Canaanite, we have to remember, means, you know, that they were kind of wanderers, that they didn't have any kind of possession or land. Um, so they were Canaanites, almost like a, kind of gypsies. They kind of squatters. And so these Canaanites, he took a wife from these Canaanites, and it says he went into her, right? And that's how he she became his wife, right? And it says she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. So the the title I would give to this account, let me back up a little bit. The the significance of this account would be the fact that it is significant. Uh, and I know that sounds a little redundant, but the reason I believe that God gives these details is to show us that there are no tiny details for him. That we, once we're associated with God, have a godly significance. And every aspect of our life, no matter how mundane it may seem to us or how, how minuscule it may seem to us, has an eternal significance. So our actions cannot be taken lightly. The things that we do... Um, that we may consider just as part of our life passing, you know, through this place on to the next, have a eternal significance. And I believe that's the purpose and the point of this account. So we see that Judah took this woman to be his wife, and she conceived and bare a son, and his name is Ur. So since we know that there's a significance to every detail even our names even those of us who are saved that god has called out redeemed and placed in the body of christ that are a part of his eternal purpose and plan in salvation and glorifying the lord jesus and saving us right um our names even have a significance and so this person's name is ur and that uh, name means to be watchful. So I think here's another clue as to what God wants us to get from this account is that he is watchful over us, not only in the sense of being a protector, but also in the sense of all of our lives, the tales from the moment we're saved on 
are very much in his sight and that he's very watchful over all the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think are in our heart and mind. So it's important for us to understand that. And I think that's the first clue as to why God has given us this account. Uh, is this guy's name, the first son, Ur. In verse four, and she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. Onan is an important name as well. So there's a second son, and that, that name means vigor. So this is uh, the strength. Uh, so it shows uh, the blessing that is on Judah, that um, he is not only... Um, one of the 12 sons, but God is going to bless him with children that uh, he is going to uh, bear children. He's going to uh, father and conceive children. And that was really big back in this day, because remember, the first promise that was given to Adam and Eve was that there was going to be a child born. So from that point on, a child that would be a savior. And from that point on, Every birth has been significant, particularly in this line, what we call the godly line. And here, Judah, right, of all the brothers, we know Judah is very significant, right? Because it's from Judah's line that we get some of the greatest um, um, accounts of God's grace in the Bible. You know, David, even unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, it's very important to see that God is watchful over us he's watchful over judah and he's also blessed us with a vigor or strength that is significant um that comes from him and his purpose and his purpose for our lives so i think that's very clear here verse five and she yet again conceived so we see this blessing being kind of poured out onto um judah in that he continues to conceive children and and back in that day the more children you had the more um flocks uh when those things grew uh it, your power your place your prestige um it was seen as a sign of god blessing you in your life um and it was very much a, a part of that culture and so he says she yet again conceived and bear another son. And the fact that he's bearing all sons, very significant. Uh, even today, we know there's a disparity between men and women and their pay. You know, women traditionally are paid less than men. And there's really no significant uh, substantiation for that. That's just something that men have perpetuated. Um, and there may be cases you know, there's always exceptions to every rule where that's there. There are reasons to substantiate it, uh, but but largely that is a perception, right? That goes back as far as here that um, that the value of a, a son is more than a daughter, and uh, so back in this time, that value was associated with the prophecy that was given that a, a child was going to be born that was going to defeat evil and do the be the final uh, judgment against sin and evil. And so there was a spiritual significance that's associated with the birth of sons and the significance of it. But uh, we can't translate that into modern times because the Lord Jesus has already been born. So here we see he has another son and he called his name Shelah, right? And so we know that these names are significant. And it says, uh, she called his name Shelah and he was at Chelsbib when she bare him. So what does Shelah mean? Shelah means petition. And we're going to see that uh, watchfulness, uh, vigor, and petition play a very integral role in this account and if you're familiar with the account then you can probably already see how that God's sovereignty is at play here and how that God has interwoven spiritual truth within these accounts that go very deep and as far as your faith will allow 
um, you're going to be able to glean a lot more and receive a lot more from this when you recognize the significance of those things. So these three sons have been born to him, right? So there's been a course of time and he's had these three sons. And uh, next we see in verse six, and Judah took a wife for his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. Now this was very common. We saw it happen prior to, prior to now in uh, the earlier accounts in scripture, in Genesis in particular, where the father's responsibility was to get a wife to be an integral part of getting a wife for his son. Now, today, sons may not think that's a good idea, right? Why would I want my old man uh, going out and finding me a wife? Like, that would be horrible. The thought of that would probably be horrible. I know when I was a young man, that would have been a horrible thought. But now, being an older man, I can see the value. Because once you're an older person and you've experienced life, then you're going to look at uh, choosing a mate for someone you love and care about from a different perspective than you would as someone who's, you know, a young man and, you know, you're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And you're going to probably, as a young man, lean more onto physical characteristics. Whereas when you get older and time and wisdom starts to uh, season you a bit, you understand that those physical characteristics are just temporary and they have very little to do with the quality of your relationship and the life that you, you want to have with your mate. That there are uh, other more valuable, more precious qualities that you want to have in someone you're going to share your life with. And so I can see how that the wisdom of having a father to who knows his son very well and also knows uh, what life uh, is and has experienced life and what's needed in a helpmate. So a help that's, you know, meet for, um, for their son. So I can see the value of that. And what a, what a wonderful tradition that God put in place uh, to have this happen. And, it's a very significant part of a father-son relationship for the um, father to, to find you a wife. And so that's what Judah did. Judah found uh, Tamar. And so Tamar obviously had qualities about her that stood out in such a way that Judah would want this woman to be... Um, the wife of his firstborn. And remember, the firstborn in in this culture received the blessing. They received um, the lion's share of the blessing. Um, and so it was very significant that Judah would choose Tamar. Um, and we'll see more of that later. And again, remember, throughout this account, we see the significance of all these actions. And they seem very normal, you know, choosing a wife, um, children being born, very normal things that happen every day. But when it, you're associated with God, when you're associated with the Lord Jesus, the, the mundane or insignificant things become eternally significant. Please get that from this if you don't get anything else. In verse 7, In Ur, Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So here we see God watching, right? Watching over Ur and seeing that he was wicked. So we don't know what all Ur did or how he was determined to be wicked in the sight of the Lord, but he was, and God addressed that. And here we see the judgment of God. You, he does not allow wickedness or sin to be um, unchecked. It uh, doesn't matter who your father is. It doesn't matter that he was the firstborn. It doesn't matter that he was born um, in his godly line. The election of God is sovereign. And this Ur was not the elect of God. Uh, he was the firstborn and he was wicked. Now, I, you know, could be overstepping, 
by saying he wasn't elect. He could be elect. He could have just been wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord took him out. I don't know that. I cannot say that dogmatically. There's not enough information here, but we do know that he was wicked and um, it led to him being slain, right? And we hear nothing else about Ur from that point on. Um, then verse eight, and Judah said unto Onan, go into thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now this was... Um, very much part of the tradition of, you know, what they did is if if somebody, if a woman's husband was to to die and that woman never had any children, then the the next uh, oldest uh, brother that, you know, took the place of that brother that was killed or died and then there to raise up children. um to that woman who was not able to conceive children by the other brother. Um, this was a protection for the woman because it allowed her to have a connection to that family, right? And to bear a child because we have to understand back then, you know, that was the hope that you would be the one to bear the, the Messiah. Now, that got diluted a lot by this time to where it was more um, honor and a, a, a certain prestige that went along with bearing children. If a woman was not able to bear children, it was really easy for her to get lost in the shuffle because there's no one to protect you. You get older, you get left behind. It was a um, not a good place to be in, similar to today if you had no relatives no children no one and it was just you then that's a particularly as a woman puts you in a vulnerable place so this is God's way of saying I'm not going to leave you in that place I'm going to have this other brother step in and um, conceive a child with you so that you'll have that legacy and that protection that comes from it. Um, and so God is very concerned about details. He's very concerned about the lives of his people. And that has not changed. It's still true today. So that was the um, the command that, that Judah gave unto Onan, you know, to go into his brother's wife, marry her, and raise up seed to his brother. Now, Onan in verse nine had a different plan. Onan knew that the seed should not be his, right? That was his mindset. He's like, now look, this is really not gonna be my child. This is really a child that I'm having on behalf of my dead brother. And Onan was not interested in sharing his power, his vigor, right? With his dead, his deceased brother. He didn't want to do that. Now. His father told him to do it. It was uh, the custom to do that, the law of that day to do that. But um, clearly Onan did not want to do that. He was like, no, I don't want to do it. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground lest he should give seed to his brother. Now, this was a very evil thing to do. Because uh, here he is um, taking this woman, giving her the hope that, okay, now I'm going to have this security. I'm going to have this child. Um, I'm going to be connected to this family. And instead of him completing that relationship, he only, um, he decided he would not share his seed with her and he purposely did this and uh here we see that and it was motivated it was a selfish kind of thing and it was disobedient to his father and also to the whole purpose of why he was to take the woman so here we see tamar was betrayed by Onan. right he didn't want he didn't want to share his vigor the family vigor with her 
and it was a uh, terrible thing that he did. Verse 10, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Well, yeah, because um, look what he did to this woman. Um, he betrayed her in, in, a, in a very intimate way, and he was being very selfish and not being obedient to the command that he was given by his father and which was right and lawful at the time. And so it's, what did the Lord do? Wherefore he slew him also. So here we see God again, uh, the Lord Jesus, the gentle Jesus Christ and his judgment. It is swift. It is immediate and it's righteous. It's based on righteousness. There's nothing other other than you can say to that, that it's just the righteous act of God, that this man uh, did something that was dishonorable. Um, the dishonor of it was exacerbated by the times, the things that were going on during that time, the vulnerability of this woman. Um, and so God slew him. So the judgment of God was pretty immediate on on this son as well. In verse 11, then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Sheila, my son, be grown. So here we see Sheila was still very young. He was not old enough to be um, giving Tamar a son, but he was the next in line. So Judah says, look, uh, I understand that both of my sons have done wicked things. They have not done the right thing the honorable thing and they've you know shamed my family and my family name but we're not going to have you tamar suffer for that so judah does what's right he says i'm going to give you my son sheila once he's grown and then he's going to fulfill this responsibility okay for he said lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. So he knew, here Judah saying, look, I understand there's a consequence to their actions and there's a, that God is watchful over everything that I do, that is going on with my family, uh, and that he's made it very clear that he's going to uh, be very, um, he's gonna watch and judge uh, based on the actions of uh, my sons. And and unless peradventure um, Sh Sheila uh, suffer the same fate as his brethren, please just go wait. I will, once he's old enough, then he's going to fulfill this responsibility, right? So, uh, and Tamar, who was really the victim in this whole situation, what does she do? She's, she does the right thing. She says, okay, she does, she acts in faith. Whereas these other two brothers were faithless. Uh, she acts in faith and she says, and it says, and Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So let's look at this from Tamar's perspective. She's had the first, the first son who died because of wickedness. Then the second son who acted wickedly with her right and but she doesn't give up you know she continues in faith saying i'm just gonna you know i'm i'm gonna trust the process and i'm gonna trust you judah your word that you're gonna give me this son sheila once he's older so she has to go back to her father's house she puts on widow's garment so that everybody knows she's a widow so that means she doesn't have the opportunity to have a relationship with anyone else right and she's kind of you know isolated in her father's house and um, she's kind of marked out as you know this is a widow and you know people all around her uh, possibly her sisters or friends they're having children people are celebrating the birds uh, but here she is in these widow's garments waiting for Sheila waiting for him to be old enough so that she can enter into the same blessing the same joy of being a mother of being a parent and possibly being uh, the one that will birth the Savior. So here we see Tamar um, in faith going back to her father's house and being obedient and trusting that Judah is going to be um, 
a man of his word, uh, better than his sons. Verse 12, and in the process of time, the, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. So here we see that uh, over time, uh, time has passed. We don't know how long, but enough time for Judah's wife to have passed away. And it says Judah was comforted. So here we see uh, he was comforted most likely by friends, family, as well as the Lord uh, in her passing. And he went up unto his sheep shearers to Timnath. Now understand that Judah was probably pretty wealthy. Um, he probably had a lot of sheep. He had a lot of cattle. He had a lot of people that worked for him and reported to him. Uh, and, you know, as a, a good businessman is going to check on his holdings. And this is exactly what Judah was doing. You know, it was time for the sheep to be shorn. And he was making sure that all the processes were happening so that he would have an understanding of not only what the workers were doing, but how much, uh, how many sheep were going to be shorn, how much wool were they going to gather. So he would know when it was time to count the, the money that he was going to receive from this, he would have a proper accounting of what he should expect. So it was been a good businessman. You know, his, his wife had, had passed away. He went through a time of mourning, and now he's back to business. So it says he went up to Timnah, him and his friend Hira, the Dulamite. So he didn't go alone. He took something one with him, uh, which is a wise thing to do when you're traveling, uh, to have a, a, a friend, um, someone to go with you. And um, I can't tell you how important it is to recognize the fact that the Lord provided this friend for him, that this was somebody that he could trust and it was somebody that he cared about very much. That that's not something that we should ever take for granted. Uh, when the Lord brings people like this into our lives, it is definitely a sign of his love for us. And uh, we have to see that. We have to see the grace and the mercy and the provision of these special kinds of people that the Lord brings into our lives to, to go alongside with us. You know, uh, it's very important to see that. And I believe he had that in this Adulamite. Uh, verse 13. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. So, you know, what was going on with Tamar? Well, she's back there waiting. She was patiently waiting, uh, watching all this stuff go down, watching her friends and um, family celebrate births and while she's wearing her widow's clothing, waiting on uh, Judah. And believe me, she did not forget about what he said. And she's waiting. And so when she heard that he was going to Timnam and that, you know, time had passed for that Sheila was old enough and, you know, Judah hadn't fulfilled his part of the bargain, well, this is when Tamar enacted a plan of her own. And let me be um, as careful in the way I say this as possible. It's very important to understand that as a man, that when you make a promise to someone, a particular female, you need to make sure that you're going to fulfill that promise. Um, this promise was made and Tamar was, she did the right thing. She did everything that she was supposed to do. And here we see Judah being very mindful to take care of his personal business, but he didn't take care of his spiritual business, right? because he took care of making sure those sheep were being shorn and he was very attentive to that, but he wasn't being attentive to the spiritual side of his responsibility. And he had, he had a spiritual responsibility, um, an agreement that he had entered into with Tamar to fulfill um, this promise. 
and he didn't do it. And this is what happens when we're not mindful of our spiritual lives. You know, we can be very mindful of our business lives, our work, um, whatever, but we can't sacrifice the spiritual side of our lives because there's a significance. God is watching us. And there's a vigor that comes from um, being attentive to our spiritual lives. We should value our spiritual lives above everything else. And that wasn't happening with Judah. And God is going to teach him a lesson. And he's going to use Tamar to do it. So Tamar heard that, you know, he was where he was going. So she enacted her plan, verse 14. And she put her widow's garments off from her. So that's very symbolic. That's her saying, okay, you didn't do your part, Judah. Now I'm going to take matters into my own hands. She did. She turned the other cheek. She said, I'm going to wait after suffering through two of your sons. I'm going to wait and do like you said. And I want to trust that you're a man of your word. You're a spiritual man, a man of God, and you're going to do what you said. And here we see in verse 14, the failure of Judah uh, symbolized in the fact that she put off her widow's garments. Right. And it says she covered and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnah, for she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. So this is the motivation. She saw that Sheila was grown and Judah did not fulfill his responsibility. So now she's taking matters into her own hands and she enacted a plan. See, she knows her father-in-law. She knows that he lost his wife. She knows that he's going to be in a certain place at a certain time. So she puts herself in a position to be in his path to enact her, her plan. And her motivation is clear. For she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. So in verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, which she knew that. Now, she obviously was dressed like a harlot. She put herself out there like a harlot. She put on all the accruedments, uh, bangles and everything else to get this man's attention. And it worked, right? She took what she knew about him, the very personal things she knew, and she used it to her advantage. So Judah thought her to be a harlot because she covered her face. So she was obviously, whatever a harlot wears or wore during that time, she had that attire on. And uh, her face was covered. Uh, and obviously that was part of the tradition at that time. Um, it's when we see people now in a certain area, dressed a certain way, our assumption is, goes right to the fact, okay, that's a harlot. We can tell. Um, sometimes you can't because people, the way people dress now, uh, it's kind of hard to tell cause they wear things that, um, well, I won't get into that, but anyway, he knew for sure, uh, in his mind that she was a harlot and that was her intent. All right. In verse 16, and he turned unto her by the way and said, uh, go to, I pray thee, uh, let me come in unto thee. So he basically is soliciting her for sex. And that's what he's saying. He went straight up to her. Um, this was because she was a harlot. That was her business. This became a very much a business transaction from his perspective for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. So he had no idea. He had completely forgotten about Tamar and it's going to bite him in the rear end. And that's what's happening. So he says, yeah, um, you're a harlot. Uh, I'm on a business trip. Uh, I got money. I'd like to do business with you is basically what's happened here. And she said, what would thou give me that thou mayest come into me? So she says, okay, that's fine. But what am I going to get in this transaction? It's a business transaction. Um, I need to know what I'm going to get out of it. Verse 17. And he said, I'll send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, without give me a pledge till thou send it. So basically saying, Hey, you know, it's common. Um, 
payment for transactions like this to give you a kid, a goat from my flock, I will give it to you. She said, that's fine. Well, how do I know you're going to give it to me? Right. I don't know you. I mean, you look like a wealthy man. He probably dressed like somebody was wealthy. He had um, an accompaniment with him, including his friend that showed that he was a wealthy man. Uh, but um, she was like, I need to know for sure that I'm going to get this pledge. I'm going to get my payment. So I need a pledge. Verse 18. And he said, what pledge shall I give thee? So he's like, hey, what do you want? And she said, thy signet, which what is the signet? That's a ring. That's his signet ring. They use a signet ring whenever they did a deal, a business deal. They would have this signet ring and they would press it. And that's like their signature saying, yes, I completed this deal. Uh, that's my signature. So he had that with him. And she says, not only that, but I want your bracelets. So clearly he had on bracelets. These are probably uh, precious metal bracelets that was a sign of his wealth, of his stature, right? They, When people saw that, they knew he was a wealthy man. So she says, give me those and also your staff, right? So he had a staff. Uh, they went on long trips, long journeys, and they would carry a staff. Sometimes they go over rough terrain. They needed, he was an older man, so he needed some help. So he leaned on that staff. And so she wanted a lot, right? This is asking a lot. Your signet, right? Your bracelets, and your staff, that's a lot. But he was so wealthy that it was really nothing to him to give these things. And he says, hey, it's just uh, for you to hold it until you get the goat and I'll get my stuff back. Okay, we have a deal. And she says, that's what I want. I want the signet, your bracelets, and the staff that's in your hand. And he gave it to her and came into her and she conceived. So here we see that the, the blessing that was associated with... Um, Judah, his ability to uh, conceive uh, children was a part of his even older age. He has a staff, but he still has vigor, right? He still has this strength, this blessing that's in him. And, and she got pregnant. In verse 19, uh, and she arose and went away and laid her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. So she went back to wearing her widowhood garments because her plan was complete. She had done what she had sought out to do. Verse 20, And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Dulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but found her not. So he sent his buddy to go, you know, get his stuff in exchange for this kid, this goat, but she wasn't there. He didn't find her, right? 21, then he asked the men of the place, this is the Dulamite asking, uh, he asked the men of that place saying, where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, there is no harlot in this place. So now we see uh, the confusion. So he sent his friends. So that shows the power, the authority of Judah, right? His friends handling all this for him. He's definitely not going to go do this himself. You know, that's something that he had people for to do that. And that's what this um, guy Hiram was trying to do. But he finds out that not only is there no harlot there, but the people say there never was. So now there's confusion. Verse 22. And so he returned to Judah and said, I can't find her. And also the men of that place said that there was no harlot in this place. So Judah trusts this man and he knows that he did everything he could possibly do to complete this transaction. And he knows that what he's telling them is true. He can trust it. In verse 23, and Judah said, let her take, let her take it to her, lest we be ashamed. Behold, I sent this kid and thou hast not found her. So this is what he's saying in his heart. Like I wanted her to take this stuff because I don't want the shame of saying somebody going around and saying, well, you know, that Judah guy, he um, he made a deal with this harlot and he never gave her payment. And the, the whole thing was scandalous. Right. And he didn't want people to know his personal business. And it was very scandalous. And so he's very concerned. He's like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, he's perplexed in verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. 
And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Now, this was a law. I mean, this was a law back then that if you were set aside for a man's son and you didn't faithfully preserve yourself for that man's son and you got pregnant by someone else, it was very, uh, the consequences, it was death. And here we see Judah uh, very self-righteously saying, okay, that's what the law states. That's what we're going to do. Go get her, bring her to me. Let me examine, get the details, right? There was no mob mentality. And once I examine her and get the facts for myself, we know what we're going to do. She's going to be killed, right? Very harsh consequences. Verse 25, when she was brought forth, uh, she sent to her father-in-law saying, so now this is her giving her case to him. He's like, okay, what's going on? Well, how is it that you're pregnant? Who are you pregnant by? And she went to her father-in-law saying, by the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet, the bracelet, and the staff. So you see, Tamar had a plan. And her plan was enacted flawlessly, right? Tamar had the faith to believe that if she waited on the Lord, if she did things the right way, that God was going to bless her. And she followed all of those steps to the letter. And here we see that even in her deception, there's faith. Because she didn't go to just anyone to deceive them into getting her pregnant. She went to Judah because she believed in the promise of God and that that promise was going to come through this family and through Judah. She knew about the prophecy that um, his father had given about him. And she wanted to make sure that she was associated with that because she had faith. And this really is a story of faith. Tamar trusted in the process. Judah allowed his spiritual responsibilities to be neglected. But God has a way of righting wrongs. Even though... Tamar lost her husband and every subsequent opportunity to have that protection, have that provision for her life. God made sure that it happened in spite of the circumstances because God is not subject to circumstances, right? So let's see what... Um, Judah's reaction is once he's presented with these pieces of evidence, um, the signet, the bracelets, and the staff. In verse 26, and Judah acknowledged them. Okay, so he knew right away, okay, that's my stuff. And listen to what he said. And said, she has been more righteous than I. Right? She has been more righteous than Denied. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, it's because that she was patient and in every situation she waited on the Lord. With the first son and his wickedness she had to deal with, the second son and his evil deed, and then the promise that was made to her by Judah to go to your father's house and wait for my son to grow up, that never happened. She was righteous in her patience in her looking to the Lord and trusting this process. And she never can thought of going to some other man, some other family to uh, have a child with because she wanted to be in this family that she knew had a prophecy of blessing. So that's faith. That's faith that says, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to trust the process. Now, Judah failed her, right? And that's what men do. We, we fail. Um, but God never failed Tamar, right? And so here we see 
the acknowledgement, Judah acknowledging the fact that she has been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son, and he knew her again no more. So now we have Judah in a situation where not only did he have to acknowledge his failure and his uh, lack of um, responsibility with Tamar and giving her a son, but he also had to acknowledge the fact that she, who concocted this very deceitful plan, was more righteous than him. I, I, I think we have to spend a little time just taking that in. There's a lot of people that if you go to them, they'll say, well, that was wrong what she did. She deceived him. She was very um, shrewd. And that was just wrong. But we have the man himself saying that she was more righteous than him. And that's what happens when we don't fulfill our spiritual responsibilities or if we neglect that part of our life. It will come back to bite us. Now, God is going to, his will is going to be done. Uh, Tamar was meant to be in the godly line. Uh, she was meant to have a child from the line of Judah. And God made sure that happened. But it was not the way that Judah wanted. And it was an embarrassment to him. He lost two sons and a measure of his respect and dignity in the process, all because he did not take the time to ensure that he put the same energy into his spiritual responsibilities as he did into his business and financial responsibilities. So I think that's an important lesson for us to, to get from this um, that happened between these two people. Tamar and also Judah. So verse 27, and it came to pass in the time of her travail that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying this came out first. So why was that important? Who cares which twin came out first? Well, it was very important. Because as we have seen throughout Genesis, the blessing goes through the firstborn. And that is the rule. That is the standard rule, procedure, and process, right? Now, over and over again, we see where God will move the firstborn out of the way and give it to the secondborn, right? That's God's sovereignty in election, right? So, We've seen that, but the rule was the firstborn receives the blessing. Jacob and Esau, Esau was the firstborn. Esau received the blessing. Jacob ended up getting the blessing from Esau, didn't he? Because Esau sold his blessing for a pot of beans, right? He had no regard for, his, for the spiritual value of that blessing, right? He would rather have that physical pot of beans that was in front of him. So we see over and over again, not the rule and then God's sovereignty in election being displayed in choosing the second born or giving that blessing to a, a different brother. And here we see that same thing again. And it's because the Lord wants us to understand that, yes, there is a process um, and a direction um, that we should follow. But God is able to sovereignly intervene in any circumstance, any situation, and his will will be done. It's not uh, according to anything else. So when we look at things, we need to see it from that perspective that from God's perspective, there's no circumstance, there's no situation that's outside of his control. And he is able to do according to his sovereign will in any circumstance or situation. And we see that here, um, that it came to pass that these two twins that were in her, that one put his hand out and so they bounded with a scarlet thread so that they would know this is the firstborn. That was very important because they're twins, right? They're identical. And they, and they knew how important it was to identify the firstborn so that the blessing would be uh, attributed to that one correctly. In verse 29, and it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold, his brother came out. And she said, 
how hast thou broken forth? So the midwife is perplexed. She's like, look, wait a minute. I put the um, scarlet thread on that hand that came out. That should have been the first child. But here I see this child has come out who has no scarlet thread on him. How has this happened? Right? She says, how hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. It says, therefore, his name was called Pharez. So Pharez, um, that's what it means, a breach. Um, and that's what he was named. That's why he got his name. So here we see where Pharez overtook his twin brother. And again, that's the sovereignty of God. That's the, the election, uh, how that God makes things to come to pass. Why did he have that to happen? Because it's a lesson. It's a physical example of a spiritual lesson. And that is that God is sovereign over all things, even the birth of these children. In verse 30, And afterward came his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was Zerah. So how do we know that that was a significant thing? Because if you look into the Matthew and the account of uh, the lineage of the Lord Jesus, you see two names from this account, or three names from this account that are very significant. One is Judah, the other is Tamar, and the other is Pharez. So there's, from our perspective, we understand the grandeur, the overwhelming significance of this simple act of Pharez coming out before his brother because we know that it led to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and that is something that's eternally true that will never change the, this account of um, Judah and his failure to fulfill the promise to Tamar uh, that's an eternal record. And it's not something that Judah, I'm sure, is proud of or that he is glad that's in the scripture, but it is, it's there. Um, and that's, I think, the biggest lesson we can take from this is that our actions are significant. Once you're associated with the Lord Jesus, everything that happens to you is for a reason. And I think the positive that I get from it is that he is watching over us and he does care and if we, and you look at the the names of these individuals Sheila the, the one son that was denied Tamar well his name means petition and so I believe that Tamar petitioned the Lord and said Lord you know I'm here I'm waiting and nothing so she looked to the Lord for the fulfillment of that promise. And God, in his way, worked it out. And God is going to do that in his people's lives. Sometimes you're going to look and see things that happen that are very peculiar, that maybe you don't understand. But you can know that if you're associated with the Lord Jesus, if you're one of his, that he is intimately working out his purpose in your life and that um, it's very significant to him. You're significant to him as well as everything that occurs in your life um, as you walk and you trust him. So I hope that we take from this that one, God is watching over us. And he's watching over us in his power, right? And that we have the ability to petition him, to go to him and to ask him if, if we feel like that we, there's something we don't know or we've been wrong, he is going to fight our battles for us. He is faithful to do that. And he will accomplish the end that he has purposed for us. And that should be a great encouragement that the work that he began in us, he will complete until the day of salvation. So we see that here in the Old Testament with Judah. And we can also see it in our own lives if we step back and we 
look to the Lord to show us these things and open up our eyes. So here we see an account of Judah that reminds us, I believe, of the significance of all of our actions and how important we are to the Lord Jesus. I pray that's what you receive from this lesson, and I pray that the Lord will bless you with even greater things beyond that. Let's close. It's in Jesus' name, Father, we come to you thanking you for all your, your grace and your provision to us. We thank you for this account and how that you record these things that on the surface may seem very casual and um, normal, but we know that because they involve your people, they have an internal significance. And I pray, Father, you would help us to see that um, we have to continue to look to you to, for guidance so that we can fulfill all the, the plan and purpose that you have for us and that our interactions with others, even though they seem very insignificant, are very significant to you. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to lead and guide us in your word Help us to grow, that we would fulfill your purpose in our lives. Again, it's in Jesus' holy and righteous name we pray. Amen.